0: Well, hi everybody. How are you doing today? Good. Good to be with you. Well, um, believe it or not, I have a couple more quick things to say before I get into the message, but this week was a really great week for our church. We had some really neat things happen and some of you are aware of them. Uh, One of them was uh, out of the blue. We were contacted a few weeks ago about being a part of a story in the Gazette and we happened to be on the cover of the Gazette this week, which is a really fun thing. And The story was really, really positive, and we were really thankful to be a part of it. We have a bunch of copies of the Gazette here that you can pick up and take with you. Has anybody, anybody get a chance to read it? Yes, it was pretty great, wasn't it? Yeah, so we can celebrate maybe, I don't know, whatever you guys want to do, that's cool. Um, and then also this week was really cool, was Uptown 23rd, which is the district that we're in, that we're part of. Uh, we, um, we just happened to be also contacted and said, hey, we, we give out annual awards and we're giving you guys an award this year uh, as the Volunteers of the Year Award. And so way to go, church. You are the Volunteer of the Year at Uptown 23rd. So um, yes, my friends, today we're going to begin uh, the message on the series, this continuing the series on Jesus. And... I was in ninth grade when I started following Jesus, and I remember my questions at that age were pretty bare bones. The questions about Jesus were this. They were, is God real, and do I want to go to heaven or hell? <laughs> and that's what I thought about, and and, and those, in some ways, I, I answered them pretty quickly as I decided, yes, I believe God is real, and I want to go to heaven. And so in my understanding in ninth grade, what that meant was then I was supposed to follow Jesus, and so I did. And, and, and ever since then, though, my questions, if you will, have matured. And I would assume that for most of us, our questions about God, about Jesus, have matured as we've grown, and there's a lot of questions in our minds. And maybe we we're followers of Jesus, and we're clear about that, but yet there's still a lot of wondering, especially when you get in the middle of a conversation where someone starts to challenge your beliefs. Or perhaps you're here today and Questions are just part of your life. You have a lot of questions about God. You have a lot of questions about Jesus. Um, and perhaps a lot of them are really positive, curious questions. You just, you just want to know more. But sometimes a lot of us have more questions that are uh, trying to uh, diminish, if you will, or questions that are intended to tear down the arguments around God. And ever since Jesus showed up, there's been questions about Jesus. And there's, and there's a lot of them, right, in, t- in our culture today. And so today, my hope is that we're going to answer every question about God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Although every difficult question, the answer is Jesus. That was intended to be truth and joke. But um, if you have questions, you ev- uh, questions at all about Jesus, you in- inevitably and essentially have questions that ultimately end up to questions about our existence and about God himself. And maybe the questions are about the validity of the scriptures. Maybe they're about the validity of the stories we read, these crazy stories of miracles and, and other things. Or maybe you have just plain questions about existence. And does, is God real? And does he really exist? And, and one of the ones that I hear a lot today is questions around religion. And are all religions really really that different? And And can't they all end up at the same place if someone's really devout? And Aren't there many paths to God? I mean, most of us want to believe that because we are all hopeful in this, right? We're all hopeful that everybody wins in the end. We don't want to see anyone not. And so we try and create these realities in which our questions that are really hard about life can be answered um, in a variety of ways. And so at the end of this, I think for a lot of us, we, if we not only have a lot of questions ourselves, we know people that have questions, and we have people in our lives with a lot of questions, and even if you're a person that feels fairly confident about what you believe about Jesus, I want to cover some what I think will be valuable ground for all of us today, because questions are a real thing in our culture today, and and, and since this is a series about Jesus, I think we'll begin right there. Um, We'll begin with him, and just ask the question, why Jesus? Why did he come? And, and what's funny is I want to begin there, but then right when we begin there, I start thinking about all these other questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hopefully we won't throw too many questions out today. But has anybody ever like, read the children's book If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? If You Take a Mouse to the Movies? Anybody with me? Who's read this or knows this story, right? If You Take a Mouse to the Movies, um, you know, he's going to want some popcorn. And if he wants some popcorn, he's probably going to want a drink. And if he wants a drink, he's going to have to go to the bathroom. I don't even know if that's how the story goes, but it's, that you get the point point. and why Jesus is sort of the same way, like why Jesus leads to another question, to another question, to another question. Are you with me? Like why Jesus Well then, why God? And if I'm going to ask why God in our culture, we should say, well, what God are we talking about? And if we're going to say what God, we should essentially uh, probably end up at the place of is God, like is God real? And does does God exist? And so we find ourselves very quickly getting to these huge cosmic-sized questions about our belief. And here's what I would assume in this room. You're here today. You're in a church. Most of us in this room probably believe that there is a God, probably believe in our form of the creator God. Although I'd also assume that there's some that maybe still have doubts and questions you know, I know that in the, United, in the United States, over 80% of people believe in God. They believe, oh, it's, it's almost up to 90% believe in God. But here's what's interesting about that. 80%, but whenever people mark, you know, in the surveys when they say spiritual or religious, and then there's all these options in which you can offer, 45% of our of our culture marks none. They, are no, they have no spiritual or religious affiliation. Therefore, they are classified as the spiritual nuns. And and what that means is, is not that they are necessarily atheist, because actually it's just a small percentage of our population that is atheist, that has a devout faith and no God, which is an interesting little paradox, isn't it? Nonetheless, it's just a small percentage of atheists, but 45%, nearly half of our culture is living in a place where they're not quite sure what they believe about God. They might acknowledge that probably god exists yet they're unsure what that really means and what implications that have so they find themselves living in spiritual limbo you know what i mean they find themselves living in a place of not quite sure how to answer all the big questions and what the truth about things really are so this means that the questions like why jesus why god what god is god for nearly 50 percent of our culture is very difficult to talk about very difficult to know what they think so let's dive in shall we we'll try and figure this out because talking about the journey of faith i believe is a healthy thing for all of us talking about reality and truth and spirituality and, and jesus and like i said when i was 14 i first started following jesus i was 14 years old and my questions were bare bone as i've matured they've matured as well and, and I remember later that year when I gave my life to Christ and I was 14 years old, I had a friend ask me about Jesus. He honestly just said, hey, uh, tell me about God and tell me about Jesus. Like, I'm curious. And I was, it was so taken aback by the question. I, was so, I felt so scared in the moment and so nervous that I was lost at what to say to this guy. I did not know how to talk about God which to me is really a mirror for our culture today. For a lot of us, we do not know how to talk about God in our culture because our culture is so diverse and you get in a conversation, the agendas are so mixed. And before you know it, you're talking about politics. And before you know, it, you're, talking about, you're talking about all sorts of weird things with social agendas or, or who knows, you might even ended up at gun control just because you started talking about God. Are you with me? And so it's really hard to figure out how to even talk about God in today's culture. And it can become about a lot of things. So I want to break this down. I'm going to do a little doodling today. Is that all right? Um, I'm going to break this down into a simple framework, if we can. And I'm backing way up, as you could tell. We're going to talk about a universe in which there is a God, or the alternative is a universe where there is no God, right? Right? And this is, for a lot of us, maybe too basic today, but stay with me because I feel like we're going to hit some ground that I think will be necessary for us to talk about, in order to talk about God in today's world. And so, a lot of times if we have this reality that there is a universe that has God or a universe that has no God, for people, they often associate this world of no God as an area in which, okay, then, this is the world of science And so they start to say, science begins to build out of this world of no God. And the other side, if you're going to have a world of God, this would be the world of faith. And for a lot of people, they have somehow put faith and science at conflict with each other. And somehow, if you are a believer and you're a person of faith, and you have any reality about the world and you have any intelligence about you, you realize that there's no conflict between faith and science. You get that there's no conflict between the both, but the world has pitted them against one another. Stephen Hawking, everybody know who Stephen Hawking is? Brilliant, like, smart dude. Self-pronounced atheist. He died earlier this year. He said this, before we understand science, I don't have this on the screen, but before we understand science, it's natural to believe that God created the world. He created the universe. So he says, before science, it's, everybody just believes God created He said, but now science offers a more convincing explanation. So the world has pitted these two things against each other as if they're opposing forces. Now, here's the thing about science. Science does a really good job at answering some questions for us. It answers questions like how. How did the universe come to be? How does gravity work, right? It answers great questions about how. It also answers questions about what, where, and when. And these are scientific questions that when you're in this, you're going to find a lot of a lot of truth and a lot of reality about the universe and how things work but there's but when you answer the more human questions there's some other the other basic human questions of who and why you actually move out of the field of science and into the world of faith these are more philosophical questions in which you have to ask yourselves questions that aren't matters of science science doesn't do a great job of answering those questions they answer these other questions and so what happens is by the way most people if you're going to say, what questions the, do, does the people typically ask? They ask who and why questions. They don't ask as many who, what, where, and when questions. They are consumed with who and why. This starts at a very young age, doesn't it? What do little kids ask all the time? They, they aren't asking how, are they? They're not asking, ha, ha, ha. wouldn't it be great if a kid came to you and said, how do I determine when I need to go to the bathroom? I just need to know what I should be feeling so I'll know when to go. No, 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 they're not asking that. They're not saying, they're not saying uh, you know, where is the mop so I can clean up? They're not asking when is the best time for me to go to bed so it will be healthiest for me. They're not asking what can I do to contribute to family so I can be the most positive contributor to, to everybody in the house. No, they're not asking those questions. They're asking why, why why? Why can't I have more candy? Why can't I, why do I have to go to bed right now, right? That's what they're asking at two and three years old. They continually ask, why can't I go to uh, Chuck E. Cheese again, right? They're asking these why questions over and over, and when you're a parent, the first kid, you think, oh, is this so cute. They're so curious, and they're so inquisitive. By the fourth kid, you're like, like immediately when the why question comes, you're like, because I said so, right? Like, like, it's come so quick. I mean, that's what most people with fourth kids do. My, my situation, I'm still cute, curious, inquisitive with my fourth, so. Um, but anyway, <laughs> why is the core question of humanity? And what are we searching for in both sides of this? All these questions are in the pursuit of something, aren't they? They're in the pursuit of truth. But here's the thing about truth. Truth doesn't belong to science as it supposes and as it proclaims, truth belongs to us all. Truth belongs to anyone who's willing to pursue it. So truth doesn't belong to one or the other. Truth belongs to you and to me. And the interesting thing about truth in our world today, it is not truth anymore. It is truths with an S. Like when someone says Walmarts with an S, this doesn't sound quite right. Neither does the word truths. It doesn't sound right. It didn't go right. It's not supposed to be truths. It's truth. But here's the thing in our world today is that we believe that there are many truths based upon the individual's perception of the world and their own experience. And so what happens in that is that someone believes, here's the thing, we are living in an era of time. <clears throat> Sociologists call this the postmodern era. That's just one of the terms that's kind of given to this from a, from a historical, cultural kind of standpoint. The postmodern era, and inside the postmodern era that's been going on for who knows, a few decades now, there has been this, these all sorts of new spiritual isms that have been bred and born. And you've heard about them because they've been around for, for a little while now. Relativism is an example of one. Postmodernism is an example of one. And what that essentially states is that you can have an experience that you believe is your experience that will help you conclude a truth about the world, and I can have my own experience that will help me conclude my truth about the world. Let me play this out for you. So let's say, in your opinion, the best food on the planet that you've ever had it as, is at a seafood eatery called Long John Silver's. That to you is the best food on the planet. In my world, that is potentially the worst food on the planet. Postmodernism says that both can be true. I say I'm right. Postmodernism says, you know what? You can have your truth, they can have their truth. It doesn't matter. Because many in our culture do embrace that truth is based upon individual experience. So follow me with this. So what does this lead to? And we're just going to kind of play this out. In a world of no God, we essentially are saying that the world came from nothing, right? That essentially everything is cause and effect. And that there is essentially no intention in the world. Now, can I just say something? If we believe that there is no God and that we came from nothing, I believe it actually takes quite a bit of faith to believe this. This is just for your own information because I think you would agree with what I'm saying. It takes quite a bit of faith to believe this because if we came from nothing, well, when did nothing become something? Because eventually it had to become something, didn't it? And so when does nothing that was sitting around doing nothing, think to itself, I need to do something, right? Like, when did that happen? And so it takes quite a bit of faith to believe that we came from nothing and that everything is just really a matter of cause and effect, that there's no tension, there's randomness. But over here, it's a little different because there's a God that's creating It's relational. There's actually quite a bit of intention and purpose. And everything kind of begins, at least in our historical knowledge, with creation. So there's quite a bit of creativity. And inside of that, there's creative motion put into who we are. And therefore, our choices, our choices matter. So what's going on here is I use this silly example of our opinion about food, right? LJs or non-LJs. Let's make it more of a serious topic. That's what I call it, sorry. And I am a non-LJs individual. Let's make it more of a serious topic. What if the truth that we're debating is on human suffering? Right? I'll be more specific cuz that's a broad topic. We went to Haiti earlier this year on a trip, so let's just take child hunger in the country of Haiti. How much responsibility should we have for such an issue where thousands of children die every year from malnourishment? Well, some believe that the truth that all humanity must embrace is that we have a responsibility to those that are suffering around the world and that no one can stand idly by, that we must, own this together, and we must do something about it, whether it be child starvation in Haiti or whatever other human suffering that exists around the world. That's one truth, right? That someone would say that is reality. We all have the responsibility. There's another truth, though, that's out there. And the truth is that it comes from the evolutionary laws of science, in which the survival of the fittest informs us that we have no human responsibility to anyone other than ourselves. Therefore, the truth remains, although that's sad, we have no responsibility towards human suffering. So, inside of this is this question, isn't there? Is there a moral center that guides and governs truth? Or is it every person for themselves, to create whatever truth they feel like is best for their experience? This is at the heart of even why we're trying to talk about Jesus today. If the world is governed by cause and effect, right? If the world is governed by cause and effect, where relative truth is acceptable, well, a world like that, that is determined by cause and effect, is actually just, it's just a world of mathematical Deduction. Stephen Hawking would say that everything is science, therefore it's physics, by the way, chemistry, you get to physics, which eventually leads to what? Math. That the whole world is governed by math. And over here on the side of God and faith and who and why and relational and intentional and purpose and creativity and our choices matter, it's a world governed by love. And I'm just going to say this, you will not spend your whole life searching for math, (laughs) but you will spend your whole life searching for love. To look at creation and consider that everything that we experience is a result of a God who is relational and intentional and purposeful and creative in a world in which he says your choices really matter, and it's all rooted in love. I just gotta say, for me, this makes a lot more sense, doesn't it, than a world of randomness, no intention, cause and effect, created from nothing, and a world of math. And sometimes you just gotta make the choice, what makes more sense to you? So for people who believe that God is real, then it cannot be a relative experience where people draw their conclusions about truth be there has to be a truth. And if you're thinking at this point, I thought we were talking about Jesus. Isn't this series about Jesus? We are inching towards him, I promise. Which who by the way did say everyone on the side of truth listens to me, didn't he? So one of the growing effects of relativism and the spiritual nuns is the embrace of this. So they embrace, let's just say they embrace God over here. They're like, this is it. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Like everything is intentional and relational. I like that and God is love? People embrace that, right? Yet they still don't have um, maybe this reality of Jesus. And so what happens in that is they go, oh, well, religion is, there's all sorts of types of religion. Like I said a little while ago, I believe one of the growing things I see in our culture today is that essentially stating that all religions ultimately end up at the same place, that all religions are essentially doing the same thing, therefore they are chasing after the same God and God has made many ways, because he's loving, many ways to get to him. Let me show you something else. So, essentially many see it this way, that humanity has been trying to get to God. And when I say God, we're essentially saying to get to life, aren't we? Because we know, or at least a lot of people who believe that where there is God, there is life. And so people are looking for life. And inside of that search, if not only life, they also know that where God is, is also eternity. And eternity, by the way, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, eternity has been set on the heart of every human. And, and then it goes on and it says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end, which I love that. Let me just say that again. He has said eternity on, the, on every human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What he is basically saying is, there is a reality that there is a God that has put eternity before every person. Every person deep in their soul knows that there's an eternity before us, yet you will not know everything from beginning to end, meaning all the questions you have about what, where, why, or what, where, when, and how, guess what? You're not gonna get all the answers to those. You will not know what God has done from beginning to end. So we're trying to, So what's happening in this, in this little thing I'm drawing here is humanity is trying to get to God, to get to life, to get to eternity. And there's always been this effort, and religion has come along and said, we're going to give you steps in order to do that, whether that be, we'll just use the big ones, right? Whether that be the Hindu or uh, Islam, so Muslims, or, um, of course, Christianity, or we'll even go Buddha. Buddhism. I'll just call it Buddha. And so we've they've created these steps to get to God, right? Whether that be pray so many times a day, do these acts of penance, um, whether that be you know disconnect from material world, whatever it is. And we have this struggle of how we how are we going to get to God? And for a lot of people, they just never can quite get there. It's it's almost too big of a process. And so if you ask a Muslim, for example, hey, will you, be, will you be with Allah after you die? They would say, only Allah knows. Which is a tricky thing, because that means they have no way of knowing if they've actually got to God or not. Only Allah knows. You know, you, you ask a Buddhist, and they say, oh, the, the, path to, the path to enlightenment is a difficult path. You know, Americans, we kind of think that, you know, reincarnation is like this joyride. I'm just going to so tell you, do, you will not come back as LeBron James. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like you are actually trying, reincarnation is a punishment in which you are trying to, you are trying to get away from and break free from that cycle of, so you can actually experience nothingness. So every religion tries to find a way and teaches a way to get to God. So when people say that Jesus is basically the same as these other religions. Guessing. Guess what? I, I put Christianity over here too, by the way, didn't I? I mean, I put, put it over here because here's the thing. There's a difference between the religion of Christianity and Jesus. Can I say that? Does that make sense? Like one of the biggest, biggest stumbling blocks to Jesus being king uh, of our hearts is the religion of Christianity, which is a really like tricky thing to say, but I think you are smart enough to follow it. And what I mean by that is there could be a lot of things that are put in place to say, this is how you get to God. But Jesus Jesus didn't come teaching us how to get to God. That wasn't what Jesus came for. In fact, he taught, every religion teaches that, but he taught the exact opposite. You understand that? Jesus comes, and he doesn't teach us how to get to God. He teaches us how God got to us. Are you with me? That's big. Like, he's teaching us how God got to us. It says that in Galatians 4.4, where it says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. So in his relational nature, in his intentional purpose, in his creative order, and in his ultimate love, he came down for us in the form of Jesus. So now we find ourselves, finally, at Jesus in this conversation. So what is the truth about Jesus? I have a few slides for you that I want to show you, but I love the I I am statements about Jesus that you find in the Gospel of John. Um, John records seven statements in which he calls them. Each sentence where Jesus speaks about himself, he begins with the I am. I actually did a whole series on the I am statements about a year ago, you know, so I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I'll remind us of us, and if you've never heard him before, you'll, you'll get to hear him briefly. But Jesus said a few different things about when I say what's the reality about Jesus, well, let's just listen to what Jesus said about himself for just a second. This is what Jesus said. First of all, he said this in John six thirty five. He says, "I am the bread of life." Jesus declared this. "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hung- go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty." Now, if you know anything about the scriptures and the history. The interesting thing about him calling himself the bread of life is there is a story way back in the Old Testament in which God sent bread called manna from heaven down to earth to provide for those that he loved. And here he is saying, I am that bread. I am that manna from heaven. I am coming down because you couldn't get to me, but I'm coming down to you. Are you with me? And I'm going to be what provides for you and sustains life for you. And I will be what actually helps you keep living and then he says in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and I will go in and out and find, and, and he will go in and out and find pasture. So in other words, I'm here, I've created a doorway. I came down, all you have to do is enter through it and you will find, and he uses a lot of metaphors and a lot of all that kind of brilliant stuff. And he's saying, when you go in through this door into the pastures, you're finding life. You're finding the fullness and the comfort of being at life with, which is the next one, Jesus is the good shepherd. These are actually tied together in John 10, John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. I'm here to care for you and ultimately sacrifice for you. I'm going to do everything I can to protect you. He says in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So eternity, this is where he's finally saying, okay, let's talk about the eternity. Eternity, life beyond death, is found in me. The one who has actually overcome death because I am the resurrection. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You want a fruitful life? You want a life in which you're seeing God do the miraculous? You can't do it any, any other way other than abiding in the vine, remaining in the vine. He is our source of life. He says in John 14, 6, and this one's kind of big, right, when we talk about truth. I am the, tr- I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So all these religions, right, that say they're all ways to God, all these things that are out there telling us that there are many ways. Jesus is saying, I'm the absolute only way. I'm the truth, and I'm the ultimate love. Nothing else is either of those. Amen. And then I love the one that we say all the time in John 8:12. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, you know, throughout Scripture, God is called the light, isn't he? We use that metaphor a lot, that he's the light. He's lighting up the darkness, whatever we say. But I, I, read, I heard an interesting commentary the other day in which it was describing God as the light as compared to the way we scientifically see the light. And we scientifically see the light uh, mostly through the, uh, through the lens of things travel at the speed of light. And the speed of light is 186,282 miles per second, which is really fast. It's unseeable to the eye, right? And 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 in that, there's actually nothing that can theoretically travel faster than the speed of light. So this commentary said, well, Jesus is just God slowing down enough for us to actually see him. That when God slows down and actually takes on our speed and our frequency, he puts on flesh and blood, and we actually can see him. And I I don't know, I just thought this was a really beautiful point. And I'm so glad that God didn't want to move so fast that he left us behind. That he sent Jesus down to get to us. There's one more moment I want to point to this morning. It's a moment when Jesus, he didn't make an I am statement, but he asked an I am question. Matthew 16 Starting in verse thirteen, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, "Who do the people of Who do the people say the Son of Man is?" So, by the way, Son of Man, you ever see that? Jesus calls himself the Son of Man often in the Gospels. Um, what does that even mean? Well, he, there's a lot of things. There's a, there's a connection to Daniel seven. We're not going to get into, but he does he does call himself Son of Man a lot as a, as, as a reference to his connection to humanity. He's fully human, son of man, and he's fully God, son of God, right? Which I think is, as we read, you'll even see this again. They replied, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So he calls himself the son, he calls him the son of God, right? Son of man, son of God, I love it. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. This is a moment, significant moment in Peter's life where he he transitions from Simon Peter to Peter. and, And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we could teach on this passage for another hour or two, so we're going to do that. Let me quickly just point to a couple of things here. Simon Peter was asked, who do you say I am? And he declared quickly that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, which is a loaded sentence. It's huge. Calling Jesus the Son of God is about the most, it's the greatest distinction that he could have given him in the moment. And then calling him the Messiah. Well, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about that word Messiah. People had been putting their hope in the coming Messiah for centuries. And here he is saying, you're the, you're the hope we've had. You're everything. We've been waiting on you. No comparisons. I want to read to you a quote from another guy. His name is John Gill. And, and his commentary on this verse, because I wanted to try and bring up the significance of it. And it's so deep and so wide that I just thought it would be a lot more concise to like, read this really short paragraph (laughs) you are the Messiah the son of the living God this is a short but very full confession of faith containing the following articles so this is what it means this is everything those short little sentences means this that there is a God oh what are we talking about at the very beginning a God, no God there is a God there is but one God that he is the living God has life in himself, is the fountain of life to others. And by this is distinguishable from the idols of the Gentiles, by the way, other religions. That Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the the Christ of God, the true Messiah that was promised by God, prophesied um, prophesied of by all the prophets from the beginning of the world and expected by the people of God. A character, this is what this statement means. It means that a character includes that all of his offices of prophet, priest, king, and servant to which he is anointed by God and that this Messiah was not a mere man but a divine person, the son of God, not by creation, because angels are created, men are created, not by adoption like saints nor by office as magistrates, but by nature, being his own son, his proper son, the only begotten of the Father, of the same nature with him, being one with him and equal to him. That is a loaded sentence, is it not? So the question before humanity since Jesus, the, the whole message title, by the way, is called Questioning Jesus. The question before humanity since Jesus was sent by God is, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? What is your truth? Do you believe that I am all that I said I was? And if you say, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, well, then Jesus says back to you, well, blessed are you because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but it was revealed to you by the father himself. Jesus stands alone as the truth in a world of many truths, doesn't he? He owns science because he created science. He likes science. <laughs> he continues to unfold the mysteries of the world through how, what, where, and when. He lets us pursue those questions and we continue to learn more about all that he's done. We continue to learn more about how mathematical our God is and how he is one of cause and effect. He is one in which our choices matter. He is relational relational. He is intentional, He is purposeful, He is all those things. And so we get to pursue these questions and we will have them before us forever. But here's the questions that I would say for us today that I'm hopeful we are all able to say with our whole hearts. Your who is Jesus and your why is love. That you today would say, you know what? I may have a lot of questions about everything else, but my who is Jesus unquestionably, and my why is love. So, back to my if you take a mouse to the movies questions, right? Why Jesus? Why God? What God is God? Well, is God? Everybody's got to make their own decision. And for me, I said, at one point, you just say, this makes more sense to me. And a life with God just makes more sense to me. And then, what God? It is the living God, the one God and only truth the creator of everything why god because of love and why jesus because god needed to take on flesh and blood he needed to go our speed he needed to get to us because we could never get to him so he came as the bread of life he came as the doorway to life he came as the good shepherd He came as the resurrection and the life. He came as the vine that will sustain us. He came as the way, the truth, and the life. And he came as the light of the world. That's who Jesus is. He came to announce and establish his kingdom. The truth. A kingdom among kingdoms. And the truth among truths. So if you've been questioning Jesus, I just hope and pray today that your who can be Jesus and your why can be love. And when that happens, he changes everything about everything. Will you bow your heads with me? Today, if you can relate to having a lot of questions about God and Jesus, I'm just trusting God's Holy Spirit to be speaking to you right now drawing you to him with his love and his grace. If you've, let me just say this. If you fought making Jesus the one truth in your life that shapes your life and everything in you, if, if questions and worldviews have created doubt in your heart, uh, I just want to pray for you, but I also want to really encourage you right now that today you can surrender your life to Christ and quit trying to figure it all out and know that the enemy is always going to put questions inside of your mind that will, in essence, steal the truth from you. And today you hear the truth proclaimed and it can be sealed in your heart. And so if... If today you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, we've been doing this a little bit more lately, but I'm just gonna lead you in a moment of prayer. If today, right where you're at, if you're saying, I wanna give my life to Jesus, I'm done with these doubts and these questions and it's ready for me to just step in, then I wanna lead you in a prayer and you can just pray this. It's not a magical prayer, it's not in the scriptures, it's a prayer of confession, a a prayer of surrender is what I call it, a prayer of surrendering your life to Jesus, making him king and Lord of your life. He is the one truth and he is the one answer for you. So if you're ready to do that, just say this prayer with me by repeating what I say. Are you ready? Just say, Lord, I wanna give you my life today. Go ahead and say that. Lord, I wanna give you my life today. If you wanna give your life to Jesus right now, just say, Lord, I wanna give you my life today. I confess I'm a sinner and I ask for forgiveness. Just say this. I place my faith in you as Lord of all. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for coming down for us. From this day forward, I am yours, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.